0: Welcome to Afro Catalyst. I'm Akinio Cheng, your co-host. This podcast is brought to you by Botho Emerging Markets Group, a leading consultancy focused on the Global South. Each month, we talk to trailblazers to understand the challenges and opportunities they face in pushing their industries forward. My voice may be new to you, but don't worry—you haven't quite lost Isaac yet.
1: Hello, listeners. It's me, Isaac again. I'll be popping back in from time to time. Including on today's episode, where we'll welcome Remy Edekoya, a lecturer at York University. Remy studies Africa development and has a fascination with coups just like I do.
0: These days, it seems like they're on the rise. In the last few months, Sudan has had two. In Guinea, President Conde was ousted by the army in September. In Mali, there have been two interventions by the army in less than a year. Meanwhile, in Niger, a coup was started in March, just days before presidential inauguration.
1: So our question of the day is why are coups making a comeback and where can we expect the next one?
0: Hi, Remy. Thanks for joining us today to talk about a subject that's puzzled many over the past year. Between 1960 and 2000, there are about four coups per year. In the last two decades, that slowed considerably, but now 2021 isn't even over and we've seen six. What's behind the recent uptick? Frustration.
2: From the you know colonial era if we go back to the colonial era to if we go back to the 1950s which was essentially the decolonization period what was the promise of independence which African leaders um you know put in front of of Africans it was you know socio-economic development help us get rid of the colonialists help us get rid of the French help us get rid of the British help us get rid of the Portuguese and We'll all have a better life. You will have a better life, you the African people. That is exactly what the African independence leaders told their people. That's how they mobilized support behind them and were able to get the colonialists out. Then independence started. And of course there were problems from the beginning. And so many of these problems were structural. These countries were in weak positions. They were weakly positioned in the global economy structurally. The long and short of it was they couldn't really deliver on the socioeconomic improvements in living standards. What did this lead to this led to military coups by the late 1960s by the 1970s many african countries were run by military governments the problem was of course the military governments also tended not to deliver the socio-economic improvements which the people wanted and so by the 1990s there was another shift back to civilian rule. People had seen, okay, it seems military governments might be even worse than the civilian governments. And so, okay, let's give the civilians a go again. Let's try democracy again. And we've generally had a democratization on the African continent for the past 20 years. But again, the pendulum is now starting slightly to swing to the other side people are getting frustrated with democracy they're saying you know you know where are these dividends of democracy as we say in Nigeria you know it's not it's not it's not coming down to the people and so people are frustrated and when people are frustrated they look for new solutions and so if you have a you know 40 something year old uh, soldier saying you know I'm going to you know take power and 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 create a, a fairer society a better society these civilians are corrupt some people say okay perhaps let's give that a try
0: This generation is experiencing some of the same things their parents and grandparents experienced, instability, coups and all. Is history repeating itself?
2: Exactly, because if you're a 20-year-old today, if you're a 20-year-old in an African state today, you most probably were born into a democracy and you've lived in a democracy all your life. However, that democracy has not delivered what it's supposed to be delivering or your state rather has not delivered what it's supposed to be delivering good hospitals roads schools jobs you know the basic stuff that people need to be able to live so that value of democracy you know it it doesn't seem that valuable to you because you know yeah democracy you know but what am I going to do with that democracy you know what what is that democracy really giving me perhaps we should try something else and you know let's also not forget the external context There are countries today that are developing socioeconomically. There are states that are delivering those socioeconomic improvements in living conditions, which people want without being democracies. This is the difference between today and, say, 30, 40 years ago, when most rich countries in the world were democracies. Today, there's China, there's East Asian states, which are, you know, not that democratic Singapore is not you know a liberal democracy by any by by any standard of imagination there are Persian Gulf states you have the United Arab Emirates you have Kuwait you have Qatar places where people hear that you know there's a good standard of living there those are rich countries those are successful countries and they're not democracies and so you know that makes people also start to you know that value of, of of democracy that democracies are inherently better it's not really an idea I think that so many people uh, of, of this generation buy into us automatically, perhaps as the older generations who have actually seen what the alternative is, or at least how the alternative functioned in Africa, which was not very good.
0: That's interesting. And, you know, Isaac and I are from different generations, and I'm just wondering from that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think this made an old joke. That's okay. <laughs>
0: but from that perspective, Isaac, um, you know, do you think that you believe more in democracy than than, um, than people my age? What do you, What's your perspective?
1: I don't know that. We believe in democracy more or less I, I do think that when you talk about the frustration the frustration has to do more with the economic issues mm-hmm. right so it's, it's less about the political systems and more the economic benefits of this thing and i think that what remy is hinting at perhaps is that we haven't delinked the political the political institutional gain or loss to the economic gain or loss
0: so whoever can provide the economic exactly. wins is who whoever we prefer
1: it, right because i mean for remy for much, and i guess i was going to ask you this remy so, i mean you you talk about you know we see all these regimes whether it's in the uae or wherever singapore and and they're not democratic quote unquote but i guess what i'll push back and say is that all those countries you mentioned were not democratic then either so then what will change right what what is and i think one of my hypothesis that it has to do with economics are we expecting too much from democracy to be the panacea for economic development and prosperity Or are there other models that we should be looking at to delink the the political institution from the economic gains that we need? So
2: first of all, to answer your first question, what changed? Because you said those countries were not democratic um, previously either. So what changed is their economic success, if we are talking about perceptions of them. So China 30, 40 years ago was not an economically successful country. Today it is. And so perceptions of it have changed. And people, you know, start to see that, aha, so it's possible to actually become a rich country without being a democracy. You know, 100% exactly what you say is exactly what I'm saying, that what people focus on are the, you know, the socioeconomic deliverables. So what has really been delivered? You know, how do the streets look? Are the streets clean? Are there good hospitals? Is there good infrastructure? Do things work? so it all really boils down to the socioeconomics for me you know and to what people see in their you know in their living standards that that's really what it comes to if we're going to pose the question of what can deliver you know, economic um, improvements or socioeconomic improvements in African states, it of course depends, you know, which state we are talking about. Let's look at Rwanda, for instance. Rwanda is, we could describe it, you know, probably semi-democratic. It's definitely ruled by Paul Kagame in seriously authoritarian fashion. But even its detractors cannot deny that it has delivered improvements in socioeconomic living standards over the past 10, 20 years. I don't think we should deny the fact that people will you know, look at those kinds of examples. This does not mean that Africans don't no longer want to be ruled democratically. Even if you look at Afrobarometer surveys, they show that clearly some like 75% of Africans would like their leaders to be elected. Their problem is not with the idea of democracy, their problem is with the practice of
1: democracy in their own specific societies, which is not very democratic. But I guess it leads to the question then, are there different versions of democracy?
2: There are, of course, of course, there are different versions of democracy, and even within the West, there are different versions of democracy. you know let's look at parliamentary democracies, for instance, in the uk. In a parliamentary democracy, once a a party captures power, they capture power not just of the executive but also of the legislative. So the conservative government, for instance, here in the UK, at the Boris Johnson led government, they can pretty much do whatever they want. Okay, because you don't have that separation of powers in the U.S., you have a separation of powers. So if, say, the president is from one party and Congress is controlled by another party, which often tends to be the case, then that president doesn't have as much power as a British prime minister, for instance. So there's really different forms of this democracy we talk about.
1: Remy, you know, one of the things that keeps coming up in this conversation is around term limits. And so this comes up all the time when we talk about Africa. Oh, he stayed on too long. Oh, he stayed on too long. There are countries that are democratic where term limits are not necessarily a problem. So, what is it about our term limits that make it a problem? And do you think that this extension of stay, overstaying your welcome, increases the chances of uh, these coups on a continent?
2: Another reason why people complain, or the main reason why people complain about people staying too long in power, is again because they don't feel those people are delivering. That's it. If people have a leader who's been there for 20 years, and during that 20 years, the country has expe- has, ha- has been experiencing a boom, has been experiencing huge economic growth, living standards have been rising, people will tend to complain less that this person has been in power for 20 years. In fact, they might even argue that the person should be in power, you know, till they die because they are delivering.
0: One could say that the new generation of African political leaders is, in some ways, barring from the same playbook as their forefathers. But what circumstances are different for this generation? Are the rules of the game the same? What are these rulers doing differently?
2: Well, first of all, the macro-psychological context is different. So the African elites who ruled in the 70s, 80s were pretty much not disconnected from the world, but we're only slightly connected to the world. So essentially, if you were running your society in Kenya, or in Nigeria, or in Zambia, you would, of course, make the occasional international trip abroad, you would have the occasional contact with, 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 with people in Asia, people in Europe and, and people elsewhere, but that contact was minimal. Today, the world is much more connected. Today, even the elites ruling these African states they have to travel more, they have to interact more, they have to mix more. And I'm not just talking bis- political elites, I'm talking also business elites. So if you're an entrepreneur, now if you're an African entrepreneur, you have to do much more networking, you have to meet with people, you know, even if it, even if it's virtually. And so the new generation of elites, the 30-something year olds, 40-year-olds, are much more exposed to the perceptions of Africa. And they see that those perceptions are negative. And they come to the realization that at the end of the day, you cannot be more respected than your tribe. No matter how successful you are individually, if you are a Zambian or a Nigerian and you go to Switzerland or you go to Singapore or you go even to Dubai, you will generally feel that condescension that you are treated as somebody from a not successful state. You are treated as someone from a dysfunctional state.
0: Remy, thanks for your time today. One last question for you. Do you think coups are gonna continue to rise Will we see more in the coming months and years?
2: Unfortunately, I think so. Generally, in the world right
0: now, we are living
2: in a moment when clearly the future is not going to look the way the past looked. But we don't really know in which direction that future is going to go. And this is the same in the Western world, it's the same in Asia, it's the same all around the world. Clearly, we are living in a period of change. Now, if you think about the context of African states, if you think about population growth, especially, the kind of pressures that exists now on African states you know to deliver and the growing amount of people who need things to be delivered and deliver them in the sense of not that people want to be given things but people want you know basic infrastructure in place for them to be able to create things for themselves and for them to be able to survive you know with those kinds of pressures coming in I do suspect that there's going to be and and as I argued in the article there are going to be more coups in Africa because there are going to be you know 30 something year old officers 40 something year old officers who are going to come and say you know what we need some change And I do suspect there's going to be, you know, support for them. Like we saw, you know, in Guinea that people are going to say, oh, you know, let's let's try something new. So, yes, I do believe there are going to be more coups uh, in African states, not in every African state. Of course, you know, it's difficult to imagine a coup in, in South Africa, for instance. It's difficult to imagine a coup in Ghana or to imagine a coup in Kenya. But there are going to be certain African states where it's much more easily imaginable.
1: Now, Remy, I know that was the last question, but I have another last question for you. A bit of a radical question. And you sort of started going down the path toward the end of Ghana and Kenyan stuff, the US, which has been one of the vanguards of democratic regimes globally has over the last couple of years, begun to exhibit signs of authoritarianism in its own way. Do you see a scenario where the US as we know it someday has a dictator as its leader or an authoritarian leader in the United States? potentially yes of course
2: it's possible you know i even think and you know this would be obviously for another discussion that i wouldn't be surprised if the u.s doesn't survive as a single state this century because of all the racial tensions there and because of all the racial polarization there and so and so i very easily i very easily imagine that happened that dictator would most probably emerge to power and would most probably emerge and would most probably emerge to power the way trump emerged on the platform of, of maintaining you know, white domination within the state. So I can very easily imagine that.
0: Thanks for listening to Afro Catalyst, presented by both Emerging Markets Group. Visit afrocatalyst.com for more. Remember to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date with future episodes. And let us know what you think by rating us wherever you're listening. I'm Akinia Cheng, until next time.